0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Raise the Bar, the podcast from Next Chapter Ventures. We have a simple mission here to get female founders funded faster. You can learn more at nextchapterraise.com. We welcome women-led businesses to join our Savvy Club for those working towards scale, and Capital Club for those actively seeking investment. Get the tailored resources and coaching you need to find, negotiate with, and close the right investors for your business. Hello, I'm your host, Nicole Denholder, founder of Next Chapter Raise. And on today's episode, I spoke with entrepreneur, Chris Edwards, the founder of Honeycombers, a digital lifestyle magazine in Singapore, Hong Kong, and Bali. On our podcast, Chris shares about how she started Honeycombers with three other co-founders, talks through Honeycombers growth, how she's used revenue and other key factors to supercharge the business, and how company values are important and drive the hiring process for honeycombers. Welcome, Chris, to Raise the Bar podcast with Next Chapter Raise. We're excited to have you on.
1: Uh, Thank you, Nicole. So happy to be
0: here. Yeah, we're really excited to be sharing your story, both your personal journey how you came to launch Honeycombers, but also how you built the business, you know, how revenue building has been such a critical role in terms of building out your business over the past 10 years. So I can't wait to just dive in and start asking you questions.
1: Yeah, it's been a roller coaster. So I'm very happy to share the journey with you and all your listeners.
0: I think that's entrepreneurship. <laughs> it is a journey. Let's kick off. And if you could please tell us about yourself. And then about honeycombers.
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm an Australian mum of three, and I now live in Australia, but I have spent 11 years of my life living as an expat in Singapore. And when I was in Singapore, I created my business, Honeycombers, which is a digital lifestyle business which provides a guide to the city. And I now have honeycombers in Singapore, Hong Kong and Bali. So that's kind of a business in a snapshot. But the reason I created it was because I felt there was a really big disconnect between what was going on in Singapore and what my peers were tapped into. And I also felt like there was no real publication that spoke to me as like a young 29-year-old fun-loving free-spirited kid-free person so that's in a nutshell what it's all about
0: so you're excited to explore Singapore and then I suppose once you start doing it you're like how do I share that with everyone
1: Yeah. At the time I was working in a local publication as a general manager for a custom content business and I could see all the great things that was going on in Singapore, but actually at the time I was surrounded by people going, oh, you know, as an expat, I wish we were in Hong Kong, not Singapore. Singapore is so boring. inverted commas, and Singapore really did have this stigma as being the boring city but there's a huge amount of things on in Singapore but it was also a bit of a renaissance time as well like I remember writing an article that was the best six places that you could actually get good coffee and there were really only six places that you could get an Italian slash Australian style really good coffee and now there's probably 60 but at the time you kind of needed to know where to go
0: Okay. So how did you get started? You're like, there's a need here, but how did you actually go from that to starting Honeycombers in your early days?
1: You know, it was funny how it all started. I was working in this custom publishing business And I wasn't having a great time. It was really challenging. I was suffering from a bit of culture shock and friends of mine actually approached me and said, we're working on this digital startup. We're focusing on digital businesses. Do you want to come and join us? And I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. I always always had that entrepreneurial spirit. And so originally we were working on kind of three different websites. One was in Aboriginal Art, one was in medical careers. And then my husband actually came up with the idea of honeycombers for Singapore. And so I pitched it to them and said, let's create this. And so collectively the three of us did it and I broke in another girlfriend actually. So there was four partners in the beginning and yeah, basically we just sat down at the kitchen table and my girlfriend and I who were based in Singapore just started writing articles and publishing them to a site. But I've always had the vision of what I wanted to create. So I always knew it was going to be a digital magazine and it was set up on a very robust back end so that it could grow substantially. I remember when I first set it up, actually, I had all the countries around Asia set up in the back end. So I was thinking very, very big <laughs> and I obviously had no idea how difficult it was to grow across Asia, which is quite challenging. But yeah, so that's kind of how we got going.
0: Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. You talked about working for a company prior and through that you got some publishing experience. How important was that in terms of bringing that across to honeycombers?
1: I think it was pretty crucial. Like I think it is very hard to start a business in a field where you have no knowledge. And when I was working in the publishing business, I learned about how to create a publication and then also how to pitch it. And I also learned the various different people that could help you along the way. So I, I knew how to run a publishing business before I started Honeycombers, but my experience was always in print publishing and digital publishing wasn't really a big thing 12 years ago. And so yeah. that was a bit of a learning. And I remember taking my media kit out to meet advertisers and having to really explain to them what a digital magazine is. Like they were kind of like, where's the magazine? (laughs) And I'm like, it's all here. It's all on the internet. (laughs) But, you know, 12 years ago is a long time ago in the digital space. It was about the same time that Facebook was becoming a big thing and smartphones were only just launched. So it was really a long time ago in the digital space, 12 years. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. And what was that thing that differentiated you? You've gone online, but what was the advertising and models that you use that probably gave you a really good basis to take the business forward?
1: The key thing that differentiated us, well, there was a few, but one was we were really focused on high-quality content. So it had to be content that you could really trust. And then the other big part of the point of difference was I've never really believed in banner advertising. Even now I actively sell. I really strongly believe in the power of content marketing, so All of our advertisers probably for the first five years were all advertorial based where we would go and review the restaurant or the product and speak from a first person testimonial style endorsement of what the product or experience is like. So that was unique at the time and at the time people were still just selling banners, but I feel like banners really shout at you, distract you from what you're trying to do whereas advertorial content really brings you along in an interesting journey and provides value. So that was a key point of difference for us.
0: You started Honeycombers with four co-founders. Can you share from the beginning what occurred with your co-founders and how those relationships progressed and how the business progressed accordingly?
1: Yeah, well, it was a really challenging and interesting journey. So within, I think it was like, Three months of launching the original two account of co-founders that I had other digital platforms with, there were a couple, and she said, "I've decided I want to stop doing this. And I want to go study Chinese medicine." And he said, "I kind of want to hang up my boots and go and do business consulting." So he went and worked for a business consultancy firm in London. And I was like, "I get it. you know it's not for everyone. Me and my girlfriend. we were the only people in Singapore, so they weren't even in Singapore. so it wasn't really relevant to them. So they left the business and we had a really easy split in that they took the Aboriginal art business and the medical careers business and said, we'll take these, you keep honeycombers. we'll call it a day. So we had three websites, three people that kind of all worked. So it was just my girlfriend and I in Singapore and that wasn't working as a partnership. And it was really early on that it wasn't working. And so I had to have a very hard conversation where I said to her, this is not working. So how about you take the business or I take the business? I don't mind which. So I kind of said to her, it's your choice. And she was like, clearly you should take the business. And it was really difficult because I bought her out, but at the time we weren't making any money. So like, how do you value a business? That was probably nine months into the business. It was just so tricky. And it was also right at the same time that I was having my first child so all of this happened literally while I'm having a baby um, and we agreed 2 weeks after the baby was born and it's all fine now but it was definitely challenging at the time you know difficult conversations are always challenging but you kind of have to have them because it was either going to go nowhere and completely fold or we were going to have to get to a kind of an agreement Many female founders start as
0: sole founders, you know, they're often told to look for co-founders and the reality is it's around working out how to run the business, whether that is with someone or not, that really works for you and not trying to fit into these stereotypes of what should be there
1: looking back now, if I was to ever have a partner in any business, I think you've just got to have a lot of conversations up front. So how many hours do you want to work? What's your vision? What's your exit plan? Like, I just think the more you can talk through all of the what ifs, I suppose it's a bit like a prenup, you know, like it really does feel like a marriage. So yeah, I think there are definitely ways around it, but you really need to be prepared for all the different outcomes, right? As much as you can.
0: Yeah, it's definitely what we talk to our members about, even though you may feel uncomfortable having these conversations because you may feel like you're putting someone on the spot or maybe there's the important documents you want to have in place in terms of shareholder agreements, you know, that founder agreement in terms of how you're dealing with expenses and any profits that are coming in or any kind of roles and responsibilities, because that all needs to be over time built out, right? So Moving from that, can you share about Honeycomber's success? I'm sure everyone would love to know how you went from this idea, Singapore, Hong Kong, Bali.
1: Yeah. I mean, it sounds easy, doesn't it? So I started the site in December 2008. I had my first baby in August 2009. So I was kind of doing this from home whilst I was pregnant. And it wasn't until March 2011 that I hired my first employee And then a year later, we hit 50,000 visitors a month. And then a year after that, we had 10 employees and we hit 100,000 visitors a month. And 12 months after that, we had 20 employees and year-on-year traffic was doubling. And today we have an audience of just over a million visitors a month and 25 staff, And we hit $3 million in sales in 2019, which was a lovely milestone. I used to describe the business as like a high-speed train that I was just trying to hang on to. But I feel like over the last five years, I've been able to take more time with the growth and really invest in my own development, which has been great. And really be a lot more strategic around what we're doing and how we're doing it. But yeah, it's been a a terrific ride and a really fast, rapid growth. You're
0: so right when you said, It sounds easy 10 years later, but it is really hard work. It's about executing. It's about getting up daily. It's about building teams that are fantastic. And I mean, you've hit some amazing revenue targets or revenue goals. I mean, what did you do to build out those revenue streams?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Media is very competitive and very dynamic. And someone once said to me that If you're not growing, then you're going backwards. So I've constantly challenged myself and my team to think about what more can we do? So at first it was a website and I think the next big piece that really grew the business was we started to do content creation for clients. So we won a massive tender with Singapore Tourism Board and we actually produced a quarterly magazine in print for them, believe it or not. So that was like a really big client piece that we did and we had that for about, I think, four or five years we had that contract. And then we launched Honey Kids, which has been a really great spin-off from Honeycombers, and then launched into new markets. More recently, we've launched quite a large event business. So we do event production for clients, video production for clients. We do a lot of video content. And last year, we launched a digital agency. So we're constantly thinking of our customers and also our skill sets. So we're great content producers. So it doesn't mean we can just have to produce content that goes onto our site. We can produce content to go onto any site. So we've constantly looked at how can we evolve and continually grow the business. And that's actually been a really fun element for us. But, yeah, it's not dull.
0: You've touched upon something really important, and I know we often hear this from investors and we talk to our founders about it all the time, is that product market fit. Do the market research, talk to the potential customer, understand what their needs are, understand what they would pay, and it also helps you identify who is the right customer because that's so important as well.
1: Yeah, I love that research part and I absolutely agree with you there. At the moment, I'm coaching a bunch of media entrepreneurs and I'm always like, if you have any questions, go back and ask the market. Go back and either ask the readers or ask the advertisers or ask whoever it is that's going to need to say yes to you on this product. And people are so happy to contribute and give you advice. And it actually is also a great way of building community as well. So, yeah, no, I love it.
0: What has been some of the key principles or Elements that's been important to you in growing the business?
1: I think the number one thing is knowing your why. So why do you exist? Knowing your position in the market. I think having a passion-led business, like being passionately about your product or your reader or your content, I think that's a crucial element. I do believe in hiring well. I say hire people that are better than you. And you know, I do also believe that. A lot of ego gets people into trouble when it comes to running a business and I feel blessed that I don't have that issue. I'm really happy to say I don't know and can you help me and I feel like just being really honest and upfront. I heard a great expression the other day about leading from the middle, so Mm. not leading from the front, not leading from the back, but letting your team help really steer where you're going and that's a really lovely thing to think about. I think you also want to really have a focus on quality. So being the best in the world at your craft. And then the other thing is, is understanding your economic engine. So in late media, so many people have a passion and a creativity and a real enthusiasm around their product. But if they don't have the revenue models right, it's not going to be a business. So I really do believe you've got to have a very clear economic engine. And there's a book by Jim Collins called Good to Great, and he talks about the hedgehog concept, which is, you know, if it's a Venn diagram, it's like one third what you're passionate about, one third what you can be the best in the world at, and one third what drives your economic engine. And these sweet spots in the middle.
0: I will be looking at that book, we'll be including that and sharing that with our community. I mean, I always keep saying you need to think about your passion plus your market trends equals success. And if you can bring them together, that will make a massive difference because independently, one might make money, one may not, but actually, you're not going to make maybe the impact and have that enjoyment of the business that you could if you brought them both together.
1: Yeah, exactly right.
0: Now, one of the things you've talked about a few times is this great team you have. They've grown with you over the years. I love that term, leading from the middle. Yeah, how have you developed the team and the values with your staff and for the company?
1: Team is everything. And my businesses are so far away from where I am, and I feel. Like I can do that because of my team and I know that I've got really great people that are very clear on what needs to be done and why we're doing it. And the way I feel like, well, my focus with the team is to have a really clear set of values which we created internally just through a workshop so again it was that leading from the middle like it's not the values that i would necessarily put down on paper but collectively as a team we decided that of all the values there are in the world let's focus on five that is going to make us be successful and have fun and so our values are teamwork integrity love local impact and fun so they're the things that we decided collectively are the most important things to focus on. And if we can work in a way that celebrates those five things, then not only are we going to create a great business, but actually just create a great life. And Honeycombs was always created around lifestyle. Like I created it because I didn't want to work in a nine to five job for something I didn't believe in, but I also wanted flexibility and I wanted to work from home when my babies were little. So I really do want everyone who works in my team to love what they do and to have fun at work. And to have fun at work means you're passionate and you're working with good people. So it all kind of flows, but I think it's really great to put fun up in lights as one of those key values, particularly in the the space we're in, it's incredibly competitive. Digital media in Asia, in Singapore and Hong Kong, like we're competing with Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube and all the big US firms that are coming into Singapore and Hong Kong. So it's challenging to compete in that space. But I do know that if we've got the right environment and we treat our people well, that we can compete and people will be really bought into the vision and culture.
0: And how do you keep that alive month to month or quarter to quarter? Because you meet many companies that have values and they're like pillars, but how do you instil that into the working culture?
1: That's a really good question. So it's a lot harder now with COVID, but we do two things in particular. One is we have an all-hands meeting once a month where everyone from the company is asked to nominate one employee as the most valuable player for the month and they have to say who they nominate and why and we ask them to highlight which of the values that that person has lived up to over the month. So that's a really lovely celebration call of calling out great culture. So we do that once a month and we also once a month have a team fun call where we all get on and you do something like a trivia or a dress up or... Something that just is a non-work-related fun component and we've only just brought that in because of COVID because we can't see each other, but it's actually been a lovely thing to do because we've got I think about 20 staff in Singapore and then five in Hong Kong and only one in Bali. For the Hong Kong and Bali team, they can feel like they're just as much a part of the team even though we're we're geographically separated.
0: Hmm. And it gives that insight into each other, into your personalities, what makes you tick, what's interesting, which can only bring the team closer together over time, right? And then therefore probably deliver even better.
1: Yeah, exactly right. It builds connection, trust, and respect. And in a media business, you've constantly got a bit of tension between editorial and sales. So if they're friends, that tension really dies down. I have had the experience of having really challenging personalities in the business oh that's another thing we do we hire for culture so skill is one thing we hire for but culture is actually more important than skill one of the best things about having your own company is you can set these rules as to I don't want to work with these kind of people and I don't care how good your skill set is you're culturally going to ruin what's really important to us. So That's
0: fantastic to hear because unfortunately you hear stories as teams grow, that culture does disappear or there's not the emphasis. What advice would you give when companies are in that revenue growth stage of their business? You know, they're set up, they've got some early sales, they really want to move out of that really early stage startup and move forward and build a a viable business with recurring sales, growing customers. I mean, what's some tips that you could
1: share? I think stay close to your customer, like constantly ask them and talk to them, do focus groups or do surveys or get on the phone, talk to your friends, just constantly making sure your business is on point with what you're offering I think you need to also make sure that you've got a clear economic engine. So, model out what your business looks like and how it's going to grow. Be ready for growth. Make sure you've got the systems and processes in place so that you can grow. Someone said to me the other day that growth is not like your right. You need to actually earn the right to grow your business. And that's like putting in the work and understanding that when you do grow, you need to think through well, how can I have. 10 times the number of customers and know that they're all going to get a great experience with me. So that system is very much important. Even like thinking through the software, is this the right software for me if my business does 10X and can I afford to get the right platform in now? So I think also hiring really well and listening to people you hire as well. And then having faith, like trusting your gut and following your instinct and yeah, a little bit of blind faith is always required as well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So entrepreneurship is uh, just running a business. It's fun, but the reality, it is hard work. And that's why what you've just talked about getting the right team in place, you know, having an economic model, having passion for what you're doing is so critical to enabling you and encouraging you to actually keep going. And then that hopefully snowballs and builds into that business that you love and gives the returns, particularly personal, but financial returns as well, which is what we all want out of the business too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you have that passion, it won't feel like work. And I think you have to be comfortable to work really hard, but if you love it, then it won't feel like work. When I started, I remember I'd work most evenings because I'd be like, well, it's actually more interesting than watching TV. So yeah, I say don't feel like it's work and put in the time.
0: Well, before we finish up, what is your next business goal? I'd love to hear what's coming up next.
1: Well, in the short term, we're launching two new products, one in Hong Kong and one in Singapore—and. I really thrive on new stuff. So that's exciting. I have just launched a coaching business for media entrepreneurs called Make It Media. So I'm actually coaching a nine-week course of that. So that's been an exciting new development. And then longer term, we're kind of making the choice right now whether we go wider and do another one or two markets in Asia or whether we go deeper into Hong Kong and Singapore. It's almost like there's too many choices, but it's exciting. It's really exciting.
0: Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. We'll be keeping an eye out to see what comes and certainly we'll share some details about your media coaching course as well because that sounds quite interesting and some of our members might know people interested in that. So,
1: Yeah, great. Thank yeah. you. The coaching course has been absolutely wonderful for me personally because it, it makes you study your own craft. So I have really enjoyed doing that and also just being surrounded by entrepreneurs in the same space. So there's 15 people on the course and yeah, it's been lovely just working with them one-on-one to help them reach their own media dreams. So yeah, it's been great.
0: Fantastic. Well, I want to thank you so much, Chris, for sharing all of your insights. Pleasure.
1: Join us next time for another conversation with female entrepreneurs and
0: investors who are shaking things up. To connect with Next Chapter, follow us on social Visit the platform at nextchapterraise.com and subscribe to the podcast for more great stories to inspire, empower, and celebrate female entrepreneurs.